welcome to Mimeo's Talk of the Trade. I'm Mike McNary. In addition to leading the sales organization here at Mimeo, I'm also interested in unlocking the secrets of sales and marketing. In each episode, I talk with creative leaders to find out how they approach problems like motivating sales teams, structuring the revenue cycle, and fitting product to market. At the end of the conversation, you and I have new takeaways to apply to our everyday life. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Mike McNary here with another episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast. Today's episode is titled Conversion Rates, Attribution, and Making Decisions in Uncertain Times. Our guest is Eric Quanstrom. Eric is the CMO of Science Technologies and the host of a fantastic podcast, the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast. On his show, he covers strategies and thought leadership uh, around outbound tactics, prospecting, and account-based marketing, all in the world of sales development. So a lot of valuable content there. I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Eric, great to have you on the show. Welcome. Mike, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate the time. And uh, I've been really excited to, to have this conversation with you today. Uh, why don't we start by talking about your mission at Science and a little bit background about the company. Yeah, so science, and that's science without the S, uh, so an intentional misspelling, C-I-E-N-C-E. You can find us at science.com. We focus on all things outbound, all things sales development. Um, You can think of our business as having a blend of software that we've built to enhance the outbound motion, make it more effective, um, have a platform that kind of does it all, if you will. with regards to sales development and then services, so people. And you know, we pride ourselves on having grown the company quite a lot since uh, its inception back in 2015. Uh, we were a four-time, you know, Inc. 5000 award winner, fastest-growing privately held companies in America type setup. And main reason, getting back to the mission, that that's important is because our mission in life and the reason we exist is to help our clients grow. So it's this kind of like very fortuitous um, goals in alignment. You know, when when our clients grow, we grow. And that's the name of the game. And so we're always and forever looking for better ways to, you know, our tagline is sales conversations start here. And so we really like to have that kind of uh, put the the wood behind that arrow when it comes to growing our clients' businesses. Very cool. You know, that top of funnel remains the most important focus for a lot of sales organizations. The other kind of cool or interesting thing about our business is, frankly, we work with just about every industry under the sun, every industry you can think of and plenty that you can't, largely because the name of the game is building pipeline and net new growth. And I think those are fundamental tenets of business. Yeah, I think so too. We're going to talk about, as I mentioned at the top, uh, Eric, uh, conversion rates, attribution, and kind of making decisions in what some would consider uncertain times right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to kind of start this back, this conversation backwards a little bit. So um, let's start by talking about what makes these uncertain times. Uh, CV Insights recently released a statistic showing that venture funding has fallen sharply in the last few quarters. How does that impact you at Science and set the scene for our conversation today? <laughs> well, yeah, we're having the conversation for those that may be catching this uh, downstream in May of 2023. And one of the things that we've observed over the last year, it's literally been a year now, is the precipitous fall from all-time highs 
in especially the venture uh, backed you know startup community if you will series seed through efg um and even private equity so you know what where that's manifested itself especially for science in our clients is essentially a cohort or a segment that the playbook used to be something like hey you raise venture funding one of the questions that happens the moment after you know those funds hit your bank account is how are you deploying that capital to grow right like <laughs> show me the go to market show me the proof points you know like hit the gas the plan. Yeah. yeah and 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 nail those you know kind of mile markers with growth so that you can get to the next funding event um yep. that has decreased precipitously and and so i i say that you know the venture funded startup has been missing in action largely since q3 of 2022 now one of the okay. things that we're seeing underneath the numbers is um the the nature of venture funding has changed um a lot more ai startups are getting the lion's share of available right. dollars out there and so i think that that's kind of going to be the next trend that that drives a lot of business um and a lot of net new company creation going forward which i think is probably a good thing um creative destruction is a a phrase that's probably well used and well known but you know ultimately <clears throat> the venture funding landscape it's just been remarkable how uneven it's been over the last year yeah and i think you know, to kind of extrapolate that out a little bit, right, is there's been this uh, decline in the venture funding that you just described and we talked about with uh, the CB uh, results. There's also this uh, apprehension in some areas around making expenditures in certain areas, investing in certain go-to-market strategies, or, you know, potentially leaning towards the more cost-intensive um, outbound tactics that maybe a company relied on previously, right? Trying to find ways to become more effective and efficient with whatever their existing budget or maybe curtailed budget looks like. So, you know, thinking about that and, and companies trying to do more, right, or trying to be more effective in a dynamic landscape, tell me about conversion rates are a good key performance indicator for marketing teams. And, you know, with all the things that we talked about changing, how has your thinking about conversion rates changed recently? Well, I think one of the things that I would say at a high level, 20,000 foot perhaps view, yep. Stephen Covey once said in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, begin with the end of mind. And I think that's sage advice, mainly yep. because a conversion rate is usually an end, um, an end of a process, an end of a journey, an end of like whatever you want to measure. And so ultimately, when when you can begin with that end in mind, what is the conversion rate? You can work your way backwards to A, how to increase it, <laughs> B, right. how to like influence it. Um, and C, I think you you really want to understand what are the factors that go into any conversion rate for true kind of like measure what matters and then you know ultimately move the needle on conversion rates that might be lower than you would have otherwise would have otherwise been the case. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, uh, there's also, you know, trying to make the sense out of the data, right? Yes. Sometimes it's, you know, purely objective and there's this very direct one-to-one uh, -one between the data that you see and the insight that you can kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, garner from it. 
And then other times there's a lot that goes into that mix, right? It's, it's objective, subjective assumptions, right? To really mm-hmm. develop a, a notion of what the ROI might be. Um, you know, what can an organization do when they see, you know, from their perspective, using all those data points, right? When they see conversion rates changing in various channels, what are levers that they can pull? You know, maybe say deal cycles are getting longer and your win rate is going down. Like how should they look at it just philosophically, I think? Well, I think that the numbers are a key to what is going on with reality, with with the world at large, with what has changed in the system. You know, if you can isolate those changes down, you would uh, use the word assumptions. And I think that's a pretty healthy one to use. I'm also fond of using the word hypothesis so that, mm-hmm. you know, and then, so sorry for being on brand here, but that's a very sciencey <laughs> way to look at the world too. Yeah, I like um, it. You know, you form a hypothesis, you you test, you experiment or run experiments, and then you develop conclusions all in the search of formulas. Formulas could be tracked back to things like conversion rates to understand again what's working. So what I would say is, if you see things um, deteriorating, changing, slowing down, otherwise not fitting the the hypothesis that you would want to change, then it's up to you to figure out what inputs you can change, what experiments you can run to generate different results. And that's where the creativity of being a business person, understanding go-to-market, understanding what factors might influence a conversion rate you want to go to work on. It's really well said, right? And and I like the notion that you shared earlier with, you know, operating with the end in mind, right? And you know, when things don't track in the way that you had hoped that they would, or your hypothesis stated that they might, right, you know, make sure that you're digging in and truly understanding what's happening, right? And, you know, is that something that's coming on the, you know, say supply side of the marketing, right? Is it the tactics that are are kind of going out? Or is it, um, you know, a market response to something else that's happening, like we're talking about with the venture funding and its effects? So I think there's a lot there, right, to, to kind of sift through. Let me ask you this, right? So you're thinking about the the data, right? And, and digging into it and getting your insights. You know, a lot of that comes from, you know, you can get whether you use an instance like Marketo or your CRM, or, you know, you have all this data that comes back to you. But then there's that subjective that we mentioned, right? And then the assumptions and, and trying to kind of put it all together to get something to build off of. How important is, and I guess, you know, what is required of a good feedback loop between say the sales stakeholders and marketing in order to get the right insights? Well, ideally you're, you're trying to measure everything you can um, and you're taking that, that measurement. And I also think that there's elements where uh, measurement is going to be darn near impossible. And you want to acknowledge that. And and simply by acknowledging that, I think it gives a lot, both the sales and the marketing departments, a lot of freedom with which to, not put everything in all eggs into one basket saying that everything is measurable because it's not right. So this is where you you mentioned the word attribution earlier. And I think this is the hobgoblin that affects a lot of um, marketing teams that want clean linear answers to things that are oftentimes the absolute opposite of linear, (laughs) such as a buying cycle. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, let me give you a perfect example. That's really close to home. Um, and see if this, try this one on for size. So anyone that listens to the sound of my voice and and says, oh, you know what, maybe the, I should check out this company that that Eric works for because they sound like they're worth their salt and, and being maybe on my short list. I was thinking about outbound and you know what, I'm going to go look at science. Uh, where is that going to be attributed anywhere? 
Like literally Love it. nowhere. Love it. You're so true. Furthermore, you know, Mimeo running Talk of the Trade podcast on the regular, you know, when your clients like listen to this and think, you know what, Mike's a pretty sharp dude. I want to work with him. Like, where is that getting trapped down as p- potentially yeah. the reason that someone makes a decision, you guys versus anyone else, right? Like, how does that affect the brand? Yep. In a sense, we can't get too tied up around um trying to attribute everything so hardcore that like we missed the forest for the trees, which is, this is still a human medium, like going to market, marketing sales are still, the robots haven't gotten us yet. Um, It's still (laughs) one-to-one and it is still very human. Now, what I'm also not saying is I'm not saying throw away. In fact, you heard me saying, measure everything you can, survey wherever you can, pay attention to the details, ask like customers, where did you hear about us? How are you thinking about our brand? What, what, you know, we, we love to ask this in, in the first part of every sales cycle that we run. Um, what led you to take a meeting with us? Those kinds of things are immensely instructive because then you bridge that gap between, oh, well, you know what? It said here, organic search, Google, these keywords was the source of your visit. But it turns out you had heard about us, which is why you did that search in the first place. <laughs> yep, exactly. Right. And and all of a sudden it's a much more robust and full picture. It's a wider aperture for understanding and then decision making around where did this deal start? Where was that awareness raised? By the way, that's important too, because every deal, every sales cycle is just that. It's a cycle, starts somewhere, has stages, theoretically or hopefully com- culminates in a conversion of a closed one piece of business that then changes the trajectory for that both companies. Right. Yep. I like to think of sales as a change management exercise because I think it's healthy to do so. You know, no change, no sale. Yep. Um, and that's for both vendor and you know client, largely because the vendor that makes the sale then you know has to support it with their solution, their software, their services, whatever. And then the the company that made the decision obviously is paying their money, um, but. Something changed. They're expecting a better tomorrow, some sort of result, some sort of KPI, some sort of need met, goal solved, um, problem eradicated, whatever, on the other end. And that's change in and of itself. And yeah. you know, I would argue that that purchase will largely be judged as successful or not if those goals are met. Right. And I, and I love looking at it that way and you know, just thinking about conversations that I've heard or hear other leaders having or had myself with sales team members, it is, you know, we talk about creating urgency sometimes, right? But those are all measurements around what? The change, right? That you're trying to drive. And, you know, if you're really lucky, somebody's raised their hand, right? And they said, I'm looking for change. And I'm going to, as you mentioned, engage in one way or another, um, with maybe a form or, you know, the website or, you know, it looks like AdWords. It might look like it came from social, you know, the attribution is very important, but the beauty of it is they've raised their hand and they said, I'm seeking change for, you know, you can find out what reason and why they came to the call as I, I think you really put well earlier, but you know, then it's a matter of, okay, great. Let's see how we quickly we can get this done. Can we meet the goals, right? That have been set forth by both sides, right? As, as I think where you finished with your summary there, and I thought it was a really good endpoint. And then there's the instances where you're calling or emailing or being marketed to out of the blue, 
right? You may not have even thought about this as being a problem or something requiring change, right? And that's where the job becomes creating that change management, you know, on both ends that are required to get to the sale has a longer journey, right? And it requires more, I think, um, multi-channel effort and, uh, you know, team collaboration. But, you know, I think we talk about urgency a lot, but the change is really the heart of it. Yeah, sense. it really is. Um, in sales cycles themselves, one of the things that you brought yeah. up that I think is another interesting aspect or phase in the the buyer's journey part, um, especially relevant to outbound, but also you know germane on other channels and other go to market activities. Um, I'm going to steal a phrase from one of the guests that we've had on our podcast, uh, Josh Braun, where he likes to talk about illumination and the illumination of a problem. Because I think that that language and that wording is is very appropriate to understanding how to open up a conversation around, and it especially works, wonders when, hey, I didn't even know I had a problem until you right. illuminated the idea that this might be costing me money, costing me business, stunting my growth, you know, holding me back. Otherwise, like, insert, you know, problem space um, messaging here. But illumination is so such a key to like even generating that interest, right? So you go from awareness to interest to ultimately illumination is really in the desire phase of a of an ADA model, if you will, and then into action. And that's that conversion rate and measurement piece of the puzzle. And now a message from Mimeo, your podcast sponsor. Here are three things you should know about Patricia Parker. She organizes 38 trade shows per year. She is a scrupulous business shopper, and she saved her marketing team $40,000 in hard costs in one year. Once upon a time, Patricia's team at WEG relied on an internal print facility to handle marketing collateral. They paid a yearly lease, plus costs of ink and paper for each print project. When their offices shut down during the pandemic, Patricia realized they needed a different solution. She reached out to four different digital printers. After doing full due diligence, she chose Mimeo as her new vendor. Now, Patricia's team places orders online whenever they need them. Says Patricia, we check regularly to see how much we spent in print with Mimeo compared to what it would have been with our leased printer. Each month, we save 50% by using Mimeo. Honestly, switching to Mimeo is the best thing we ever did. Read Patricia's full story at bit.ly slash mimeoprint or call 901-566-8900 to speak to a rep today. That's bit.ly forward slash M-I-M-E-O-P-R-I-N-T. And now back to your episode. Yeah, I really like that, the illumination component, because I think it's you know, it captures a lot of different routes you can get to the same place, right? But there's always has to be that moment, right? If you're trying to get to the action phase where someone is, like you said, is acknowledged that they have a problem or maybe for the first time is considering that even if they don't view it as a problem, there may be something better out there. That's right. right. And Especially um, relevant for, let's be honest, like most businesses exist in um, not competitive markets of one. <laughs> like, yeah. Highly competitive, arguably blood red ocean markets where it's worth thinking through the scenarios of like, oh, right. For someone to come running into my arms, they've got to leave the arms of the incumbent that they're with. That's exactly right. 
Yeah. And if you're getting them very early, right, uh, it, you know, you, they may not have been in the arms of another, but they probably don't have a great idea of what they're looking for in the first place. Right. So they, every every aspect comes or every potential you know, new relationship comes with that obstacle that you have to overcome. And it's a big lift. Right. And that's why it's so important. Yeah. But, to, you know, from the first touch of that prospect all the way through the action component, um, there's a lot there. Right. You know, thinking about the best ways to get that, you know, interest going or to get someone into that top of funnel by looking at the available channels, uh, available, uh, you know, um, uh, angles that we can go at them. Do you see other organizations or, you know, maybe say common mistakes made when you get into that area where it's the objective data, but then you're also combining the assumptions component? Like, is there a common error or a common road that folks go down where they kind of quickly say, oh, you know what, I, I made this classic, uh, you know, misunderstanding of the data or my scenario? Yeah, um, the classic, you know, misfit uh, here that I see all the time is where people play out of their weight class or they assume what got you here will get you there. So you talk to any marketer and you say, well, who's the best marketing organization on the planet? And more often than not, people will go, Apple. So do what Apple does, right? Except for the fact that like nobody has the multi-billion dollars, the brand heritage, the like rolls off the tip of your tongue, the trust earned over decades, the iconic right. leadership, the ad campaigns that were revolutionary for their time. like. No one has that backstory of Apple. So yeah, just copy what they do and call it a day. Yeah, it's like, like it didn't take them decades work. to do it. Right, I agree. It doesn't work. And, and I find that especially pernicious for phase of business companies that like aspire to be Apple. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? But like, but thinking that you can just do what they do without the context. And again, that like history is ludicrous on its face. And yet we do it all the time. Yep. We do it all the time. In fact, you know, I would argue that like this is where a lot of humans get really tripped up is we always want to like aim for or shoot for the stars. That's why I say, you know, punch out of our weight class. And I think that that leads to a lot of really bad thinking where I find it to be most acute, especially in um, the businesses of a lot of our clients that, that we come in, clients come in thinking a lot of different thoughts, but one of the ones that tends to permeate is you know, I need to talk to the decision maker. That's my favorite hobby horse, right? To get on largely because I'll, I'll split it five ways to Sunday. Here you go. So if you think about a decision maker, A, you're implying it's one person. And I think that I would argue that the evidence strongly suggests that we are in an age of consensus purchase or consensus buying. Um, and the evidence is overwhelming. Depending on the analyst firm you listen to, buying committees now are like in the double digits. <laughs> it's not one person. Especially in enterprise level orgs, right? You know, it's the number always goes up. I'm with you. Every time I read an insight or something, it's 8.1 people are involved in purchasing decisions now or 9.7, right? Yeah. And I think if you think of a decision maker, you oftentimes form an archetype in your mind of like, is that really how it goes down in that organization? If they were to want to make change with you, you know, to really right. put it into different language. And so, you know, oftentimes that'll like manifest where people go, yeah, just get me on the phone with the CEO and then I'll close them because that's just how I, I roll. <laughs> and oh, by the way, start with the fortune 500, you know, let's stick with the Apple example, because yeah, I want you to Apple. go after Tim Cook and get him into a meeting with me, you know, yeah. like Same. Why not? it could happen. Like 
you know, what could go wrong (laughs) outbound, you know, I've seen, I've seen rare events happen, but like the probabilities of that are exceptionally low and therefore expending resources to try to hit that note, that exceptionally rare and like arguably undefinable note are just not a good use of anyone's logical thinking. You know, when at the same time, you could be saying to yourself, what don't I know about my buying and what do I need to learn? Because that that's a great use of outbound for what it's worth. Yeah. You go in with the hypothesis of who your buying group is. And I would strongly encourage any of the listeners that, that are thinking through this to say, what is the, in the software world, we have a term, it's called minimum viable product. I like the yeah. idea of thinking about like minimum viable lead. So like, what is the minimum viable lead that could get a story started within an organization that could lead to a buying outcome? So if you're thinking about it that way, all of a sudden it opens your total addressable market and opens it up like a lot less saturated audiences. Back to the example, Tim Cook's famous because a few years ago, I don't know if he still does it, but a few years ago, he he actually com- communicated to the world that he read all of his own email. Probably has you know, five or six assistants sorting through it before he gets to him. But right. either way, like that was a claim that rare C8, like few um, publicly traded Fortune 500 CEOs made. At any rate, you know, like the chances of, of getting through to that type of saturated audience, that person really low, same exact kind of like lower title in a given or an associated department, much better bet, much higher probability. So encouraging businesses to think through that. If I'm going to do list-led outbound, what is my minimum viable buyer, right? So my MVB, right. if you will. That's a healthy way to think about a hypothesis because then all of a sudden I can really tune the campaigns at getting to somebody that might pick up their phone more often, might actually answer email, might actually have a need. And then if you force yourself into the MVB kind of ethos, then the really exciting thing is now you can all of a sudden start to find who in your current customer base looks a lot like them. Yeah. And on the sales side, I think, you know, I like that the MVB, it, it makes me think of, you know, when say a sales development uh, team is on the phones or, or trying to sequence out really good messaging to, you know, multiple departments and an organization, right. You know, segmenting out the, the folks that they're targeting into, you know, various, uh, we'll call them roles that they can play in the sale, right? And the yep. MVB might be the coach, right? Or it might be in some other instances, the influencer, right? You need to get to this level. If you, you know, in, in the data, and, and as you were talking about before, you measure everything, right? And, and you kind of keep on that data and you follow it to its, its logical end or where it just inevitably ends, you can determine that, hey, in this particular audience type, I need to get to here if I want the outcome that I'm searching for. And I'll tell you that the biggest forcing function of this and doing it kind of, I think, well, and I'm doing air quotes here for the audio only. Yeah. Did them well <laughs> Listen, too. <laughs> is, is actually on the vendor side. It's actually on your own side. It's your own, on your own team. And this is where endless border skirmishes start between sales and marketing, right? Because if you don't have full kind of buy-in from sales, like, hey, this is where a a buying journey might actually start and this lead will be worth your time and you've got to work it in a sales cycle to completion. And by working it, I also mean adding more people as you go, right? Like starting kind of middle up in an organization because the thing you'd never want to have happen that can torpedo all of this is where sales gets the sentiment, oh yeah, that, that lead wasn't worth my time. Oh, that's a killer. 
It is. And I, it, as a CMO for, you know, I guess this is technically my fifth CMO role. I've, I feel like I've seen it all. Um, and it's a delicate balance because I, I definitely respect that sales team members have an idea of what makes for a qualified lead that they want to talk to. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, fake the funk or, you know, like skirt the rules on your qualification principles. What I am saying, though, is having an open mind around how a, a sale can actually progress. You know, while sales might have those insights that you pointed to, which I think is a value of sales in, in many instances, they know the customer really, really well, but do they always understand how they're changing, right? And the things that they can learn about them over time. In the inbound circumstance, the, the phrase you used earlier, and I liked it, was raised hands. You know, when people are raising their hands to talk to you, it's it's important to, to ask the fundamental question, like, is there really anyone that raises their hands, you know, knowing full well that what they're going to do next is meet with sales that thinks to themselves, oh yeah, that's going to be the funnest thing that I do today. I'm you know, like, I'm pumped. <laughs> like I can't wait to be with said no one ever, like literally yeah, no one ever. ever, ever. I can assure you that's accurate. <laughs> so in a sense, like we have this fine balancing act to, to, or high wire to, to walk around when people are raising their hands, they're generally doing it to solve their problems. You know, like, Human beings by default are all self-interested. They're not necessarily other interested until, you know, the circumstances are right. So with that self-interest, when I fill out a form on a website to tell a business that I want to learn more, and then I know I'm going to get a salesperson calling me up right afterwards, in a sense, like the last thing that I want is to be qualified down or qualified out or the, you know what I mean? Like, and I find like, this is a real challenge for a lot of businesses. Yeah. No, I think it's true. I think it's uh, just going back to your point again, because I love it is, you know, continuing to learn and having your understanding of your customer evolve with them. Right. Yeah. Because if you think, you know, everything, because you've been doing something for a few years and, you know, you know, your customer now I'm using air quotes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's really detrimental because you can, um, you know, disqualify a lead well before you even engage with it. And that's, you know, not only devastating to an individual contributor's goals, right, and, and their targets and success, but, you know, in aggregate, that can cripple uh, the, the new business efforts of an organization, right, if it's if it's happening at scale. Yeah, and again, back to the idea of a change management exercise being kind of the metaphor that we want to use or the, the structure that I think produces the healthiest thinking. You know, ask yourself this, like, what is the change that the person in front of me or the person that's raising their hand or the person that I just got interested in my brand or my solution, what is the change that they're seeking? Yeah. I love it. I have a, a couple a quick ones before uh, we, we call it because this has been uh, fantastic in my opinion, Eric, but um, is it possible? We've talked a lot about, you know, conversion rates, attribution, getting to the bottom of what works, what's going to work in the future collaborating between sales and marketing to get kind of the the, the right uh, efforts against uh, your audience and, and prospects. Is it possible, you know, or have you seen it be possible to be too focused on conversion rates? Yes. Yeah, without a doubt. I'll give it a really interesting anecdote from our current business. Um, we recently hit a, we developed a product or a project, if you will, that has increased our traffic to our own website, like 5X. Um, by default, Hold our up. conversion rates 
against contacts per page, if you want to measure it that way, or contacts who have unique visitors who hit our domain, um, like it's off <laughs> by a couple percentage points since that yeah. volume went 5Xing. It would be very easy to get freaked out and say, oh my gosh, my conversion rates are, you know, like <laughs> not what they used to be. And and I think that it's it's right for myself as the head of marketing and all the members of our department to be looking very closely at that conversion rate fall. Um, not take the easy answer of, well, just because it's far more volume, um, we can expect it to fall. Right now, we're forming a hypothesis around, well, what should the proper conversion rate be at these new lofty levels, you right. know, where people are finding us in, in much different ways than they've ever found us before, where their, our own buyer's journey is changing before our very eyes, at least yeah. for this cohort or this segment. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm very cognizant of not being too over my skis or over indexed against, oh my God, the conversion rate fell, the sky is falling. <laughs> I get it though, right? You know, what do you really know about that? Is something changes in a dramatic way, you know, everything is skewed, you know, yes. and you have to figure out what the new normal becomes, right? Well um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really, really good example. And, um, you know, in general, some takeaways that I've had uh, first, you know, marketing changes, right? Yeah. And is always changing. And you're not nimble, staying on your toes, willing to evolve. Um, you know, it, it's, probably not the area of interest for you, right? <laughs> and if you do that well, right, it, you know, you and your organization can benefit greatly. Right? That's quadruply true in the age of AI. Yeah, interesting, right? I, I, another takeaway um, that I really like is operate with the end in mind. Yeah. And, but measure everything that you can, right? You know, think about how this should be going and then, you know, figure out whether that's the case. And if not, why? And what's really happening? And try to get as much data as possible so that you can garner accurate insights that are actionable, right? Yep. And then, um, you know, finally, uh, I like this one a lot too, sales is a change management exercise. So in order to operate successfully within it, you've got to continue to learn about your audience. Yes. Yeah. I, I think uh, all three of those are, are awesome. And Thank you. Um, if our audience wanted to get in touch with you, uh, how could they do that, Eric? Yeah, me personally, uh, turns out there's not that many Quantstrums on the scene. <laughs> uh, you go to LinkedIn and- Gift and a curse. <laughs> like, there I am. So yeah, easy. Good. Um, and then our company, Science, again, it's science without the S, uh, C-I-E-N-C-E.com, and all of the relevant channels you can find us on. YouTube and TikTok and LinkedIn and everywhere else. So rock and roll. I love it. Thank you again, Eric. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners. And we'll be back with another episode uh, sometime very soon. Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Find out more at www.mimeo.com.